future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome once again. Here we are. It is Monday. Yes, it is another Monday, March 7th, 2022. Welcome to Raging Chickens Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, you know it. We talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from rowing backyards from across the country. On Fridays, check out the Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And check out the Wednesday show with Cyril Michaleko. Yeah, we do it kind of an occasional show once, twice a month, depending when we get our schedules to work out. Cyril, of course, is a progressive columnist from the Bucks County Courier Times, the Intelligencer. And he joins me to drill down into the Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and international politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress to choose your membership level. You can also help out the show by heading to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. You can also join our Discord server. Info on that is in tonight's show notes. And for more PA Progressive Talk, tune in the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern, our YouTube channel, Twitter, or Facebook. Subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcast. Look, just head on over to ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. you got Labor Radio, the voice of the working class, Rick Smith, ricksmithshow.com. you got to check out Season 2. It's officially launched, the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. You know, I, look, no one's going to be upset if you leave out Spotify. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. Attention gamers, the Game Inn is a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from retro N64s, latest consoles, video games for all platforms, loads of collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops. And look. Kids get discounts with every A in the report card. Come on, how great is that? Check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at, at the Game In. That's with two N's. Got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get? Shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. And a special shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at songadayman. That's with two N's. That's at songadayman on Twitter. Well, we've got a great show coming for you tonight, everybody. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Tonight, I welcome Alyssa Bowen to the show. Alyssa has a PhD in history from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. She is currently, as of today, (laughs) senior researcher and managing editor for the progressive watchdog group, True North Research, where she tracks and writes about dark money in U.S. politics. She has written for The Nation and is a regular contributor to Truthout. And we'll be talking about her new article in Truthout, Dark Money is Behind Women's Groups Attacking Biden's Supreme Court Pick. In that piece, she shines a bright light on the deep pockets funding right-wing women's groups such as the Independent Women's Forum and Concerned Women for America who are seeking to sink Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson's nomination to fill um, Justice Breyer's seat. 
We'll also talk about her research and reporting on dark money funding the concerned moms groups leading the extremist charge in local school boards. You can follow Alyssa on Twitter at, at Alyssa Ann Bowen, and you can check out her writing on Truthout and check out her great work on um, by True North Research. All that information, the links will be in the tonight's show notes. Um, welcome to the show, Alyssa. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, Kevin. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I was totally psyched, you know, when I came across your piece, um, you know, on the Supreme Court picks and these kind of uh, dark money concerned moms groups, I was like, man, this is right where we need to be looking right now, especially and listeners to this show knows, uh, know that, you know, <laughs> we're been steeped in it right now. So, so let me ask you this before we get into the specifics of your article. I mean, so you're kind of like, you come out, you get your history PhD, right? You're studying history. You decide, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to dig into the dark money kind of that's uh, funding the destruction of our democracy. <laughs> right? Right. So, so I, how do, what, what got you to that point and what brought you to kind of look into this stuff? Um, and um, then maybe we can talk a little bit about what True North Research does before we check out your article. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Um, it actually isn't, it sounds like it's not quite a match, but actually, surprisingly, there was a lot of um, sort of overlap between the dark money stuff and some of the student activism things that I was engaged in at UNC. Um, I don't know if your listeners have ever heard of the Silent Sam movement, but Silent Sam was a Confederate statue on UNC's campus uh, that was torn down, I think, in 2018. Um, but it was uh, Silent Sam was a, a, an anonymous Confederate soldier on on campus, um, and um, it was it had this whole racist history that I don't need to go into. I think most people will believe me when I say that. But, <laughs> Wait um, a minute, Confederate statue with a racist <laughs> history? Come on, you're gonna have to sell me on this one. <laughs> Weird, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> um, but basically, through a lot of the activism that I was doing, I sort of came to understand who was really in control of some of the university's decision making. Um, most students and most faculty members, most workers on campus didn't want to see and have to walk past Silent Sam every day. Um, but the university was spending, you know, $400,000 in a given year to protect the statue. They were protecting counter protesters that weren't members of the community. Um, they and the chancellor even we found through FOIA requests was um, getting emails from donors saying, if you take Silent Sam off campus, then you're, then we're going to revoke our funding. And the chancellor responds by like forwarding it to like the donation and gifts department saying like, oh, how much has this person given? <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's so, do a cost benefit analysis on this yeah, one, shall we? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and then you have, I, I'm not sure, UNC politics is also kind of, can get kind of ugly. Mm -hmm. We have um, a board of governors that used to be selected by the governor, board of governors, right? Um, but it actually ended up um, when Roy Cooper, the Democrat, was elected governor, uh, the legislature had an emergency session where they decided that UNC's Board of Governors would now be selected by the gerrymandered legislatures themselves. Um, and so then, right. then you have um, uh, like Art Pope being put on to the um, Board of Governors, who is this like quote unquote philanthropist, but really is this um, sort of right-wing dark money guy who has all these think tanks and people might actually this might actually resonate more with people is the whole nicole hannah jones debacle at umc yep. yeah so uh for those who don't know nicole hannah jones was this uh kind of revered reporter from the new york times who started the 1619 project which actually kind of spurred some of the things we're going to be talking about today with the critical 100 percent yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so she uh was given or she was offered tenure a tenured position at unc 
And as part of sort of the final checks of this, um, uh, the Board of Governors is supposed to just kind of okay it. That's the usual thing. That's the last step in the process. And they said no to her. Um, Art Pope, uh, this dark money guy who's very close with the billionaire Charles Koch, who does similar things, um, is uh, was uh, using his sort of, or at least his, his network of think techs was going heavily against her tenure. Um, it ended up Nicole Hannah-Jones took a job elsewhere, um, but uh, which probably is best for her. Um, but it just kind of, sh again, shows you like the, and kind of sh showed everyone what I sort of learned through my, my activism at UNC, which is um, academia sometimes is, is increasingly sort of becoming more of a business with the goal of making money and appeasing wealthy folks rather than a place where um, the ultimate goal is learning and creating better, more informed members of her community. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's for sure. I think, the connection where I was like, OK, through through my my education, both at UNC as like in my classes and whatnot, but also through my activism, I was like, this is something that that I'm interested in and, and want to learn more about, basically. Yeah. And you and this is also taking place in the context where you have major kind of electoral battles happening across the state, right, over the gerrymandering, the disenfranchisement, mm -hmm. um, kind of, of pr primarily kind of people of color within the state. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, those battles, I mean, that you were in the thick of it basically all throughout that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I listened to your episode. Was it Stephen Caruso who was on talking about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a really He's great. He's great, yeah. <laughs> so that was actually helpful to give some context to the, some of the stuff going around uh, other places too happening in other states. And well, and fantastic. And now you're so now you're working for True North Research, right? Which is does this kind of research basically full time, right? So tell us a little bit about what True North Research is, and then we'll jump into your piece. Yeah, absolutely. So True North Research is a watchdog group that tracks dark money in politics, and we really want to shine a light on some of these dark money groups. So special interest groups that are funded anonymously that are doing a lot of damage, in our opinion, to democracy. Um, so we keep track of, of sort of the things that they're doing, um, the policies that they're opposing, the politicians that they're supporting and opposing, um, and the judicial nominees that they also are opposing, which is what um, my Truth Out article is about. Um, our founder is Lisa Graves, who is an amazing human. Um, yes. She's also incredibly impressive. She's served as a senior advisor in all three branches of the government. Um, she was executive de director at the Center for Media Democracy. Um, and before that, she was the deputy assistant attorney general at the U.S. Department of Justice. Uh, so we've got we're sort of tour de force <laughs> at True North Research under her. Well, totally. And, I, and I, I told you this um, back and forth on email that, uh, you know, the uh, Center for Media and Democracy, particularly the Alec Exposed stuff, was really kind of part and parcel why we launched Raging Chicken to begin with. Like yeah. that was the the information I think the rest of the country needed to be able to understand what was happening, that, um, you know, these kind of the Tea Party takeovers and things like this were not simply and, and then the legislation that came after that was not something that just kind of, oh, some people were sitting around. Oh, this is a good idea. Oh, we that's we you know. No, there was a playbook, right? And it had been long term in the in in the you know in the making, and that stuff, the Alec exposed stuff, put everything out, and that kind of was instrumental for so many of us that were not kind of front and center in Wisconsin to be able to understand like what was coming. So to find out that she was kind of like you know involved in kind of spearheading this project too as well, I'm like, thank God, right? I mean, <laughs> one more, you know, um, and this is like you know phenomenal to see. And I encourage everybody to head on over to their site because I, I frankly, I'll be honest, I hadn't heard about True, uh, True North Research yet until I was coming across your pieces. 
and then went and saw, I said, oh my God, this is going to the top of my bookmarks because mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a central reading. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh God, yeah, just great stuff. So, okay, so one of the things I think for for the layperson, right, when we saw that Joe Biden was uh, nominating uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson, right, or even before that, right, when he was saying that, you know, I'm going to nominate uh, a black woman to the Supreme Court, it seemed like, you know, there were groups ready to go already, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of really at the the core of what your piece is. So talk us through a little bit about um, about your piece, what you found here, um, and how you saw these dark money groups playing in with these so-called concerned moms and other groups. Yeah, thank you. That's exactly right. That I, I mean, my piece went out on the day that Biden announced that uh, announced uh, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson as his nominee. Um, so most of my, my my piece is sort of looking at these uh, early attacks that were preemptive against the nominee, um, and based on Biden's announcement that he was going to be nominating a black woman to the post. Um, and I sort of found that many of the, these groups were calling out the Biden administration for somehow being uniquely political in its approach to the judicial nomination process. Um, as if Trump or McConnell's Senate had not been <laughs> political. <laughs> um, right, totally neutral. Um, right. And some groups painted the nominee as sort of this liberal activist that was backed by dark money progressive groups. Um, and one group in particular that you mentioned, the Independent Women's Forum, mm-hmm. uh, was claiming that Democrats were hypocritical for only supporting diverse candidates who were progressive, but not, you know, black, indigenous people of color who were conservative or right wing. Um, And I sort of found that, and this is tied to my dissertation research, which no one really wants to hear about, but it's it's part of this larger strategy by the right to present their stances as somehow apolitical. And part of that is is, uh, presenting their right wing judicial approach, which is called originalism as apolitical. And I write about in the in the piece that um, originalism is deeply political. It was founded sort of as um, a response to the 1954 Brown versus Board of Education decision that decided that um, public schools should not be segregated. And it was a response to that to attack that um, by arguing that the founders wouldn't have you know, didn't have had segregated schools or, you know, black people did not didn't have publicly funded schools. So um, it's a deeply political uh, way of thinking. Um, Well, and I think that in that part, what I find fascinating, your piece there, too, we're able to kind of see, you know, I think a lot of people would understand that, you know, some of these racial battles go back to the kind of desegregation of schools. But to see a legal philosophy being articulated at that moment as a way to you know, kind of dodge the, the kind of racist uh, um, attacks and calling it something that sounds much more passable, right, mm-hmm. um, about the kind of American, um, defending American ideals and so on. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, also in this piece, Independent Women's Forum, I kind of show how they try to present themselves as politically neutral, like we're just these independent women who have independent thoughts but what are those independent thoughts and what are the policies that they promote is something completely different and kind of shows that they are not politically neutral, um, obviously. Um, And so Independent Women's Forum, for example, and Independent Women's Voice, which is their sister organizations, we kind of use them, um, refer to them as a group because they they act sort of uh, in tandem. Um, They 
received $4.75 million from the Leonard Leo linked group since 2016, I believe. And Leonard Leo, um, for those who don't know, is this right-wing lawyer who is um, ha has held leaderships in the Federalist Society. I think right now his position is co-chair of the Federalist co Society, which promotes originalism and is, or they say they're independent, but they do promote judicialism as, as a judicial quote-unquote philosophy. Um, and um, he has been at the forefront of collecting, I think, I think the tally is $400 million in one year to uh, promote right-wing judges uh, feder federally in the Supreme Court um, and state judges too, I believe. Um, and so they're receiving this money from Leonard Leo and they promote right-wing policies. They have, they actually were founded as the Women for Clarence Thomas to defend Clarence Thomas Predominantly against accusations, credible accusations of sexual harassment by from Anita yeah. Hill. <laughs> um, and then since then, they've recently kind of amped up. I think their their attacks on on um, Democratic uh, nominees and support for GOP nominees. So they've you know they supported Gorsuch. They supported Kavanaugh by attacking Christine Blasey Ford. Um, saying she's discredited and all these other horrible things um, and uh, held an I'm with her rally for Amy Coney Barrett um, despite her probably being positioned to overturn Roe v. Wade um, so so just by looking at their policies you can see they're quite far from independent and politically neutral yeah. And Amy Coney Barrett's a good example of, you know, it's the same kind of logic that the Independent Women's Forum, right, as you kind of lay that out, um, operate from, right? You're, you want you want to get rid of Roe v. Wade. You know that's going to be a very deeply unpopular move. So you basically nominate a woman, right, to provide a, some kind of cultural cover for that move. And we should also say, too, the Federal Society, like, you know, this is, Federal Society is not just a, a right-wing, say, you know, right-wing legal think tank group, right? I mean, it is really the pipeline to federal, um, you know, to getting appointments on a federal judiciary. Um, and they have built a machine, right? They have chapters on every major, um, you know, major university that is producing, um, you know, legal scholars. And, you know, it's kind of understood increasingly, especially since there's been no pushback, or I shouldn't say no pushback, but but there's been not a an equal pushback on the progressive left to do the same kind of thing, where actually you're kind of cultivating young lawyers um, for judicial appointments. And they've been, you know, federal the federal society hands the list over here's here's the list of candidates to choose from and the increasingly republican um presidential or presidents or presidential candidates look at that list when they're thinking about their appointment so they are a powerhouse in what has happened to our courts oh that's a great point and something i didn't mention about leonard leo that you reminded me of is that he has been called trump's judge whisperer he created the list of supreme court nominees from which trump selected gorsuch Tony Barrett and 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 Kavanaugh, um, so he's got immense power, as does the Federalist Society. And then he dumps all this money now, right? So as we have Joe Biden's getting ready to nominate a Supreme Court justice, right? Um, and let's be clear, right? It's uh, there's not a presidential election this year. There's uh, Mitch McConnell does not have his his normal excuse, right? So they're going to need something else. Um, they know that you know when Breyer like put his retirement in as soon as that announcement it seems like all of a sudden you've got all these concerned citizen groups are emerging and um they're they've come pretty hard at katanji brown jackson's nomination from my understanding 
Yeah, I think that's that's right on. Um, Independent Women's Forum has been specifically uh, going hard. Um, other Leo funded groups like Concerned Women for America, Network of Enlightened Women, they have also attacked Biden's nominee um, in hypocritical ways because they supported Trump's nominee, support Trump's decision to support a woman. He announced that before he announced Coney Barrett was his nominee. And then they um, are attacking, you know, supposedly the identity politics of, of choosing uh, um, Ketanji Brown Jackson or whoever the nominee would have been. Right, right. But I think it'd be fair to say that hypocrisy as a charge no longer sticks to the Republican right, right? I mean, I think that would be a fair charge to make at this point. I think that's well, fair. Now, this is just a, a minor detail, but one of the things that I got like, I'm like, really, really? But this one part we have like uh, IWF chair uh, and Vix Vaporub Eris, Heather Higgins. <laughs> like, I'm just like, you know, just like the Vix Vaporub in the thing. Then now you got to think about this is but, you know, it's it's that kind of stuff. Something that is, you know, a company that has been around for so long. Right. And then you have I mean, you you know, exactly. You identify her as the heiress to this fortune. And this is increasingly like the model, right? You have these these people that inherit huge amounts of money, right? They haven't done squat in their entire lives other than this stuff, right? Um, and that's where they got to, you know, put their entire attention is to this is what they understand as what they do is to fund these kind of organizations to take down the courts and to, you know, kind of undermine what I think a lot of us felt for a long time were kind of, you know, I don't know, key legs of, you know, our democratic culture. Yeah. Um, yeah, Heather Higgins has her own foundation, the Richardson Foundation, that she uses to funnel into right-wing sources as well. Um, but I think that's something that's really the most troubling to me about dark money is that it does give the ultra-wealthy a immensely disproportionate say in our policies, our democracy, um, and really weakens the say of everyday citizens who don't have the millions available to get you know, the ear of someone important um, and to, to have such sway um, and lobbying power before our political institutions. 100% pretty crazy. And you're looking at this, um, you know, this, one thing that I did want to ask you about, too, as well. Um, you do. I drew this thing on the back of back of it because you have this. I have this like little triangle drawn because you've got like the independent women's forum and then you got independent women's voice, which they're 501 C4. And then you got the Ind independent women's law center. Yeah. Right. So you've got, you know, this one organization, which is essentially funding these three groups that are working in tandem. Right. Um, that, you know, if I came across something, you know, called the, you know, Independent Women's Law Center, I would have no idea that they actually represented these extreme right wing um, positions. And I think that's fair to say to Independence Women's Voice. I mean, who's going to disagree with this? Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, is this increasingly what you see as kind of the way that these organizations set themselves up to creating these um, branch organizations as a way to, you know, attack from all sides? Yeah, and I don't think this is even something new, actually. Sadly, it's, um, I think, been going up for a long time where you have these different political entities with different designations, you know, 501c4, 501c3, you have donor advised funds um, where you're, you know, billionaires funnel money in and then they can't tell them how to use the money, but they like make suggestions, whatever. Um, and they're called donor advised funds, but yeah, they're something more nefarious. Um, and for example, actually, I was just talking to my colleague, Evan, shout out to Evan, um, who is amazing and knows a lot more actually about the core stuff than me. And he was talking to me about Leonard Leo groups and explaining how convoluted they are, because 
they're on different schedules, some of them. So um, you will get um, you will get groups who uh, they're all connected to Leo and the Corkeries who are there, who is Leonard Leo's sort of affiliates. Um, and you they're on different scheduling groups. So they'll they'll use one fund to donate to another fund. But you can't tell if the exact amount is the same because half of it was in one year, half of it was in another year. They just are really good at hiding the money and they've paid a lot of money to a lot of lawyers to make it that way. Um, so it's kind of terrifying. So Grant, so what's your kind of, when you're sitting looking at this right now, I mean, uh, uh, how would you assess how effective they are right now in, in this current, um, you know, in the current battle? Um, do you think they're going to have a significant influence um, on the Supreme Court? I mean, I know I'm kind of asking you to kind of, you know, jump out of the kind of the research and the tracking here a little bit, because just thinking about um, what kind of power they're bringing to this fight right now. You mean women's groups specifically? Or? Yeah, the ones that we see kind of coming out against Katanji Brown Jackson's uh, nomination. I think that these groups already have had a significant impact on the content of the Supreme Court. We have a 6-3 Supreme Court that doesn't represent the political leanings of our country by any means. Um, and Certainly. I these groups have been acting for a long time. Um, Leonard Leo has been in the game for you know over a decade trying to... Um, sway the direction of the court. So I think uh, it absolutely will continue in that vein unless public disclosure laws, I think, improve. And unless we have like significant pushback from citizens, apologies if you can hear my cat meowing. And it's okay. Quite okay. <laughs> we welcome cats on the show. It's not a problem. Welcome cats, kids, dogs, you know, it's they're all here. Um, well, th that brings us to kind of, um, these have been around for a while. And one of the things that you know, coming across this piece, then digging into some of the other reporting that you've been doing, of course, uh, you know, you tip me off and I say, well, you know, we've been covering some of these concerned mo moms groups for a bit. And right here where we're located in Bucks County in Pennsylvania, we're certainly not alone. I know there's a similar fight happening in Westchester County in Pennsylvania. Um, there's fights that happening in kind of these, whether it's school boards or it's redist redistricting that are just saturated, saturated with these groups. And um, this has been true in the school board fights over kind of critical race theory, you know, we have to put quotes around everything these days, um, critical race theory um, over masking. Um, and then, you know, you kind of scratch the surface of some of these kind of concerned mom groups. We have the Moms for Liberty right down the road from us right here that keep on showing up at the school boards, but we have others. Um, can you talk us through a little bit about the way that these similar kinds of groups seem to be kind of emerging and are beginning to play a role and what their funding mechanisms have been looking like? I know that's a big ask at this point. So, I mean, choose what you want to <laughs> look at. Yeah, there, yeah, I mean, I will point to public disclosure laws again, we, public disclosure laws being an issue because some of these groups, um, for example, Moms for Liberty, which has some, mm -hmm. been some of the most vocal sort of on the ground, uh, county by county groups. Um, I think, I believe that was funded in 2020 and we don't see any of those documents then until this year. Um, and even when we do get them, we don't get to see the funders. Uh, sometimes we get to see the amounts, but we, we don't get to see the funders. Um, that's why I think for one of the pieces on, on, uh, in, on Truth Out where I did dig into financials, I focused again on the Independent Women's Forum since it's a longer standing group. Um, but they um, are, are trying to do a similar kind of model, it seems, to Moms for Liberty. And they've worked Moms for Liberty on, on a rally and they have like hosted them before um, and given them a platform. But um, Independent Women's Network has gotten funded 
by have has been funded in the past by Bradley Foundation, which is um, huge money. Yeah, huge money that just got. And if you want to read Milwaukee, is that right? Are they able to Milwaukee? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they um, just were reported on by Jane Mayer, I think, in The New Yorker uh, on uh, all the efforts that Bradley Foundation has done on, you know, uh, voter suppression efforts after 2020 and like overturning election results and that kind of thing, uh, funding those types of groups. Um, And they also have gotten money from American Federation for Children, which if you follow any of the anti-CRT stuff, I mean, both the school privatization group, you know, quote unquote school choice. Um, but also um, been hugely, Corey D'Angelis, who works for a American Federation for Children, has been a huge, quote-unquote, anti-CRT voice. Um, uh, if you want to look at some of the nonsense on Twitter, you can look at his nonsense. Um, <laughs> so, And he was at their gala, for example, this year. Uh, so they have close ties to these groups, too. I love this that you have uh, one of the uh, parents groups. You have this Coke-funded uh, group that says, "Yes, every kid released its opportunity in crisis report." I mean, you know, you see these things come come out, and uh, you know, they show up. They sh- well, this is kind of what I want to get. I'm going to maybe jump into it from Hartport. They the materials that they produce. I remember the Bradley Foundation was uh, was key in a lot of the school privatization stuff and the charterization um, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And a matter of fact, a lot of there were a lot of kind of these kind of uh, Democrats pro charter kind of like data high test high stakes testing mm-hmm. people that were plugged into the um, plugged into the Bradley Foundation too as well. And I think you know in part, I mean, some of the work that you all have done um, kind of over the years have helped break that. I don't know, addiction, if you will. But um, so they, these folks have been around for a long time and they produce these reports and they end up, they sh- start showing up in school board meetings and on school board's desk because they got money just to kind of say, hey, we've got this report, this might be of help to you. And I think, you know, again, if you're talking about a local level, you know, having someone provide help for you to like, you know, with materials and things seems like a godsend because, you know, most of these folks are doing this on a volunteer basis and you see somebody might be a willing partner, but it becomes the door, right. That lets in, you know, it's like the invite to the vampire, right. You know, (laughs) come on in and suck us dry. is really kind of what a lot of these groups are doing. Yeah. Some of, some of the most disturbing part to me about seeing these dark money groups produce knowledge, quote unquote, is, um, just what you're talking about is they, they create studies that are sort of self-fulfilling there and, and then they put them out and they challenge established knowledge from people who have been studying this for a year, built on bodies of knowledge, bodies of scholarship and bodies of knowledge that have been building for decades and decades. Um, and then, and it undermines like established knowledge in, in a way that, um, I mean, it, it, it's really detrimental to public well-being. It's detrimental to like truth telling. Um, and that we sort of seen that too with, uh, the masking debates and public health debates. I mean, they, they pick and choose different data points that they see, um, sometimes not even peer reviewed, and they use it to, to undermine, like I said, studies and, and, and bodies of knowledge that have existed forever and call them equal. You know, they're saying, okay, well, masking is bad for children or whatever. And, and there, here's this one thing that shows that like some children learn better when you don't do it versus like knowledge about masking being safe. That's been going on since, I don't know the the 
the Spanish flu or whatever. Right, right. Um, so it's 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 harmful to our health. It's harmful to our climate, which is also our health. It's harmful to like so many bodies of knowledge. It's devastating to me as someone who did a PhD in something that they could like challenge this kind of of like existing knowledge. Well, yeah, and I tell you, as, as someone too, I work in higher education. You know, I work, you know, I teach at Kutztown mm -hmm. University here, and uh, I, I've, I have to say, and you know, I've said this on the show in at different moments where it's this whole past really ten years, but I think even more so the past five years or so has really shaken that kind of ground um, of assumptions that I have always made about higher education and kind of the pursuit of knowledge and all this stuff. Um, you know, I'd always, I'd always talk about, I can remember, you know, I have this, I was looking at some old syllabi not too long ago where I was talking about higher education as be one of these, you know, few spaces where we can say that few remaining spaces where we can say practice that kind of democratic exchange, right? Where you can have, you can have kind of like serious discussions about kind of issues of our time and so on like this. Um, and that rug seems to have been yanked out where um, we don't, there was just like an editorial in the New York Times that's making its way around Twitter today, right? You know, I came to college to argue with my classmates. I'm like, really? I mean, I came to college to argue my conservative points of view and that's what I wanted. I mean, like, really? And, you know, and even that, I think it makes its way into the way, as you were mentioning earlier, the way higher education functions too as well, mm -hmm. where, you know, making the case that, okay, well, this is science and this is the research and this is peer reviewed. That means increasingly less, right? In when, in the broader cultural debate, it's absolutely critical. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we get rid of it. Right? I'm mean, saying it's now it's important now more than ever, but there seems to be this big gap between, you know, on one, what we were kind of saying is this is grounded factual research, or at least basically informed research because a whole bunch of stuff obviously is not fact-based, right? It's about trying to come up with our best decisions and so on. But to see kind of, you know, the work that you were doing and say True North Research, at least we get to the point where we're kind of unearthing, right, what's hidden. So we can at least to start to track some of these things. Um, the question is, and I mean, I don't know, you know, if you got an answer for this per se, but now, so we, when we have this stuff, have you seen people make effective use of this in um, kind of in different ways where we're calling attention to this, whether it's at the level of bring, you know, educating state legislators or if even is at the community level and kind of on school boards? I do think that we have been effective, I think, for example, example Sheldon Whitehouse, um, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from yeah. Rhode Island, he has been um, someone who has been really vocal about the issues of dark money and the the way dark money is really detrimental to our democracy, um, which I appreciate. And I think, I mean, Independent Women's Forum, for example, has been invited by Republicans on countless to to testify in front of Congress on countless. Mm -hmm. Uh, issues just they were just on about civil rights they were just on about that last week on um federally funded daycare just so many issues that would positively impact women and g people generally uh and they've opposed those in front of congress and that's terrifying but i do think that there's a, a better awareness in congress of like the issues that dark money po pose um and I do think that there was a lot of coverage 
for example, of Amy Coney Barrett's nominate during Amy Coney Barrett's nomination process of all the dark money groups that were backing her, uh, especially Leonard Leo, uh, thanks to the Washington Post. But I do. She still was confirmed. <laughs> um, I think there's like limits to what just producing knowledge can do. I think money is extremely powerful. And I think, don't get me wrong, the, the work that we do is really important. Um, sure. and I'm, I'm proud of it. But uh, I think uh, there needs to be maybe more drastic action by people, individuals, um, maybe we can play a role by like informing them of this. But I, I think pushing for public disclosure laws is also really important. But it's it's hard when it's already so deeply ingrained in our system. Right. No, that, I mean, that's a great point. And I think that, um, and, you know, I have that same thing. You see, like, look, you can play play this particular kind of role. I mean, I know for, like, on my end of things, when I, this seems like, I don't know, like nutritious food to me. <laughs> you know, it's like the kind of stuff that, we need to be kind of consuming and kind of um, becoming aware with, because I think it's also true that our cultural narrative, right, um, makes this kind of research, right, tracking some of the dark money, right, if it was just like a one and done, right, somebody kind of exposed it once, it would quickly just disappear from people's mm -hmm. heads because it runs counter to what, you know, those and those kind of who are pulling the purse springs would like, like us to understand. And by tracking some of this stuff, I know this was true um, in the aftermath of the Tea Party, and it's certainly true now as I'm kind of looking through these, uh, you know, these kind of quote, quote unquote concerned parents groups um, and seeing some locally, you know, then you got the copycat versions, right? Because you've got these national organizations and then you've got, say, more local or state based organizations that say, hey, this is a great model. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're talking to each other, <laughs> right? Um, it's not happening stance but to have this kind of information where it, at least we can be empowered to say break some of that narrative that it's just some some random parents who happen to get together and are concerned about this issue seemingly out of the blue when really no there's been a you know an organized effort and a high you know a well-funded effort um behind it well the wind in their sails so to speak yeah yeah i hope so i think that we have we have a lot of work to do but i i think we can push back against this and i like i told you before we started this i i have hope for the midterms that it's not going to be a massacre as some are predicting um with uh looking at virginia as a model i know it's terrifying i think these concerned mom groups do have caught on to something and they've i mean they've caught on to genuine discontent with parents and how uh education's been dealt with during the pandemic um but uh they're being fueled by and, and kind of pushed in a certain right-wing direction by these these dark fun, dark money funded groups and i do hope and i know that this is true and one of my colleagues has been tracking some of the groups pushing back against that they're anti-anti-crt parents <laughs> um it's like it's like nesting dolls right? yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I i there is hope and and people i think on a local level are figuring out that like you mentioned your bucks county um person like Concerned. Paul Martino, the dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or him, but the concerned mom who came to the Bucks County meeting and oh, right, right, in North Penn. That's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and who was it? Who was disallowed or <laughs> disinvited? Um, and I think uh, when people gain knowledge, they about who these individuals are, and they learn what they can do to push against it. Um, it can be really powerful. And I think there's, like you said, there's not a democratic, like central 
a hub of like dark money prepared to counter these moms. But I think that there can be efforts on the ground in different localities and people shouldn't be afraid to like start their own group as concerned moms or concerned parents to push against the kind of uh, attacks on teaching truth and history is really what these anti-CRT attacks are. They're, you know, targeting books by queer authors, by black authors predominantly. And it's really easy to see through what they are once you become armed with some of the knowledge that we are hopefully going to put out. (laughs) No, you already are. I mean, I'm, I'm, like I said, this is like kind of lifeblood kind of stuff here. And I know that, you know, the first book that they pulled off the shelves of our local schools was Heather has two moms from the 1983. Right. I mean, can you believe it? Um, and they pulled off Toni Morrison. They pulled out, I mean, this is kind of happening all throughout the County and, and, you know, and it's not just here, obviously. I mean, Tennessee's got a big battle. We had in kind of a North York, um, that's not too far from here. Um, students, uh, high school students rose up and they kind of protested and they kind of, you know, got national media for it too. Cause they're saying we demand, that you kind of you know they're, they're students of color primarily we're saying no we we need like you know um uh writers of color we should have every right to um have them in our libraries and you're not going to take them away and they won the battle That's right amazing. so yeah it's pretty it's pretty awesome well you know listen i know there's a lot of folks that are um um and i don't want to keep you too long tonight I, I i'm so psyched to have you on tonight too and uh, i'm probably going to be bugging you in the future i have a feeling right. and your colleagues now that you tell me that some are doing that i'm like all right <laughs> put them on my like list <laughs> oh, i'll be fantastic um because i do think it's i I'll, I'll speak for you know the folks that i've been involved with here and what we do here on raging chicken is i know that um having an understanding of that stuff and kind of seeing that research and where to, where to go for resources to as well. Um, just in, as people are, are doing the organizing and exchanging ideas and try to understand what's actually happening in their school district. Um, you know, this stuff is absolutely critical um, to have at our fingertips. Um, and, and with that said, you know, so if you have folks that are, are on the ground doing organizing and are trying to kind of make sense, like, would you direct them or where would you direct them kind of for say, say resources or kind of like want to find out more kind of stuff, um, other folks that are out there, um, where might you point us? Yeah, well, you could follow our work that you mentioned, but you said you're going to put that those details in the show notes. Yep, absolutely. 100 (laughs) percent. There's yeah, there's a lot of good investigative work being done. Um, There's the popular info Substack, which is great documented does a really amazing investigative research. Um, Dave Sirota's newsletter, the Daily Poster is great, Um, but also Uncoke My Campus, uh, led by Jasmine banks is like pushing against the dark money influence that we discussed a lot today in universities uh then there's center for media and democracy uh dismog and greenpeace are also really great and they do more uh climate based stuff there's a lot of dark money efforts to um to oppose policies that mitigate climate change um so so those are some really great resources there um yeah and then you can follow us on twitter on facebook uh we have a sub stack and we also have our website where we post our reports 100 percent. well uh Alyssa, i i really appreciate your time here um tonight and uh you know i will kind of include links if you would do me a favor maybe even after the show shoot me a li- that list of links i'll put those links into the show notes too as well just those those organizations yeah. that you mentioned that'd be fantastic Wonderful. um just so we've got that resource that's ready to uh ready to go where people can easily access of course all the links to um how to follow uh Alyssa bowen on twitter um how to check out her work on truth out and how to look at the amazing research that is going 
going on at True North Research. That's truenorthresearch.org. We'll have information on that in tonight's show notes too as well. Um, thank you again so much for spending some time with us tonight. Um, and I love your work. And um, I look forward to like, you know, the next drop <laughs> that I'm sure is right around the corner. Thank I appreciate it. Thank you so it. much, Kevin. This is wonderful. Oh, this is fantastic. Well, hey, everybody, thank you for tuning in tonight. Um, really appreciate it. This is a great talk. Like I said, I'll be adding some additional resources um, down in tonight's show notes um, that can only add to, you know, kind of our tools for struggle, as you will. Um, in the meantime, um, I hope you'll tune in Friday and Friday night. Uh, Friday, we have our kind of Friday politics roundup once again. And uh, next Monday, uh, next Monday is still in flux. So uh, I'll let you know about in the middle of the week uh, who we're going to got on. I have reached out, as you mentioned, um, Uncoke My Campus. Um, hopefully we're going to reach out to some of those folks and see if maybe we could have some of them on too. They did a great report on what's happening with some of the dark money and the funding on the CRT debate. Um, it's a fantastic report. Love to have them on for that too as well. But in the meantime, so thanks, Alyssa. Have a super, super night and uh, we'll be seeing you on the Twitters. <laughs> all right. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Thank you all for tuning in tonight. Um, keep strong. Keep the organizing going. We can do this. See ya!